Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. This is part of the story that you're seeing more broadly across the economy, which is the shifting balance of power between employees and employers. They're still actively trying to boost demand to make up for the pandemic. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. They care most about whether or not the president or any of his associates were part of an organized conspiracy. We've decided as a state to invest in people. We take care of people, and we need people to be able to afford things. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for joining us on the fastest hour in politics, the last one of the year. And we're dedicating it to what will likely be the biggest political story of next year. The midterm elections. We're joined now by Greg Giroux, Bloomberg government elections reporter. Greg, thanks for being here. We spent the second half probably of 2021, maybe longer, talking about the looming midterm elections. Has the cycle already begun? Oh, yes. Politics never sleeps in Washington, D.C. or around the country among political Mm -hmm. professionals. It seems like uh, the next election begins once the last one has ended. And yes, we have uh, the stakes are very high. We have a 50-50 Senate um, that's going to be closely contested in the 2022 midterm election and one of the smallest House majorities in U.S. history with Democrats defending a narrow five-seat majority in that chamber. So there's a lot to watch in the coming 10-plus months as we approach the November election. Well, before we start picking through some of the races that you're following, I wonder what this means for Democrat efforts here in Washington, those uh, who already have jobs. The conventional wisdom is a tight window at the beginning of next year, maybe January, February, to get anything done on Capitol Hill. Is that how you see it? Yeah. I mean, usually legislative majorities take the odd-numbered year to try and pass a lot of legislation because there is, as you mentioned, a limited window to pass things in an election year. Uh, because the realities of campaigning kind of take hold and there's a more limited schedule. And you also want to, in the odd-numbered year, you know, the majority party in any legislature wants to pass things that have time to take hold among the electorate. It's one thing to make headlines for passing things in Washington, but does that really filter out into the states and the districts to the voters that are actually going to decide uh, the, the, the electoral fates of the members of Congress. So Democrats, with their slim majorities, are trying to parlay those uh, narrow uh, legislative majorities into passing legislation that uh, they hope that will um, rally their supporters to come to the polls, because in midterm elections, more of the energy and enthusiasm usually lies with the opposition party. Mm-hmm. In midterm elections since World War II, the average result in House elections has been the White House's party losing more than 25 seats. Democrats have just a five-seat majority, and so they are certainly the underdogs to uh, keep control of the House. So, yeah, history is clearly not on the side of Democrats as we walk into this midterm election year. Most insiders agree the House is very much at risk, but that the Senate might be easier for Democrats to defend, particularly in light of, of Governor Chris Sununu's decision not to run for Senate. What's your take on that? The Senate is a bit trickier to predict than the House, not only because we're still so far out from the election, but one-third of the Senate is up every two years. And so uh, Senate elections depend on the partisan distribution of those seats that happen to be up in any uh, two-year cycle. And in this coming cycle, uh, we have 34 Senate seats up for election. 20 of them are held by Republicans and 14 by Democrats. So Republicans are playing more defense than Democrats 
uh, in the 2022 Senate elections. But most of the Republican seats that are uh, up for election in 2022 are in safely Republican states for the most part. Okay. Republicans also have more retirements than Democratic senators, five to one. But again, there, most of the Republican retirements are in strongly conservative states. So I think that the race for the Senate is probably more of a toss-up. Greg, you mentioned the R word, those who are retiring, and you've been compiling a list of lawmakers who are retiring that I saw on the terminal, those not seeking re-election. It's a pretty long list. Which party will have more seats to defend because of retirements? Well, in the Senate, you have five Republican retirements and just one Democratic retirement, that of Patrick Leahy of Vermont from the safely Democratic state. But the five Republican retirements, by and large, are coming from Republican-friendly states. So the races in those states may be decided in the primaries more than in the general election. There are some states to watch in the Senate uh, for Republican-held states. Uh, seats like in Ohio for the seat of retiring Senator Rob Portman, a state that used to be very politically competitive, but has leaned Republican, especially in the era of uh, Donald Trump leading the Republican Party. Pennsylvania, where Republican Pat Toomey is retiring, is also uh, a state to watch. Uh, But there are... um, Retirements on the House side, um, you have much more, many more retirements on the Democratic side than in the on the Republican side. In fact, 17 of the last 21 House members who have announced plans to retire, seek other political office, or resign have come from the Democrats. Most of them are from safely Democratic districts, um, but you do have some members of Congress on the Democratic side who represent politically competitive districts. That's going to be they're going to be hard for the party to hold in the 20. 22 election. Did I hear you right in that Ohio and Pennsylvania then could help decide who controls the Senate? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they'll be, they'll be critical to deciding who controls the Senate. Um, Ohio, as I mentioned, is a state that uh, was long a bellwether in national politics. That's still a state to watch, but it has crept over to the Republican side the last few election cycles. Pennsylvania, one of the closest states in the 2020 election, okay. will be critical for deciding which party controls the Senate after 2022. The departure of Rob Portman, uh, just to, to stop down on that for a moment, is a pretty big deal when we talk about the lack of compromise and sort of this new era of of uh, partisan bickering. He was one of the last negotiators on Capitol Hill. We wouldn't have the infrastructure law without him. Will there be another Rob Portman left in the Senate? Yeah, we are seeing kind of a dwindling, I think, of senators, members of Congress who, uh, even if they have strongly Republican or Democratic voting records, yeah. have very bipartisan-minded, uh, compromise-minded records. You could say that about Rob Portman of Ohio. You could say that also about Richard Shelby of Alabama, a, a veteran appropriator who's retiring after the 2022 election. You know, like Portman, Shelby has a decidedly conservative voting record, but that hasn't precluded him, uh, either one of them, from reaching across the aisle to form compromises with Democrats on some key issues. So maybe we shouldn't be talking so much about who controls the chamber, but but the important cultural shift that will take place, political culture. Yes, that's right. Um, we have a, you know, the Senate is very uh, polarized, very evenly divided, of course, being a 50-50 Senate. Um, it's going to be interesting to see after the 2022 election what kind of Democrats and Republicans are uh, are going to join the 118th Congress in 2023. Uh, with a lot of these states um, 
with a lot in a lot of states and districts, it's the primary election rather than the general election that is the determinative election. And uh, I want to look at a lot of these Republican primaries, especially in Senate elections, to see what kind of Republican emergence emerges from the primary, and to what extent uh, Donald Trump, former President Trump, has a role in uh, shaping the outcome of that election. Um, I want to see uh, to what extent Republican candidates uh, feel some, you know, what, what kind of fealty or loyalty they have to the former president and to what extent they feel like they have to ingratiate themselves with the former president uh, to win uh, to win the votes of uh, of Republican primary voters who are still uh, very pro-Trump. You know, I would have asked you if Mitt Romney, if Senator Romney uh, might might have a a way to rise into this role that a Rob Portman was playing. I mean, they were really both involved in those negotiations, but maybe an opportunity for for Mitt Romney to to play a more moderate role in reaching across the aisle. But if if Donald Trump is involved in this election cycle, I'm thinking that's a no. Yeah, well, Romney and Trump have had a, a very up and down uh, political that's relationship sure. over the years, for sure. Uh, but I can see Romney, and he's starting to do this. I can see Mitt Romney kind of emerging into more of a kind of an elder statesman role yeah. uh, in the Senate. Um, you know, certainly he has a, a rather conservative voting record, but. Um, He's the sort of senator, despite his uh, relative uh, lack of seniority in the Senate, sort of has the the um, uh, the, the image and the gravitas and the uh, the national uh, political following, where anything he really says on the floor, anything he does, uh, will get outsized attention. And so I could see him uh, kind of taking more of an outsized, higher-profile role uh, in the Senate. We'll see if the party allows him to. Uh, then there's the redrawing of congressional maps, Greg. Another big factor in determining the outcome of a lot of House races in a lot of states. What should our listeners know about this? Well, we're a little more than halfway through the process in terms of the number of states that have had congressional maps signed into law or adopted by redistricting commissions. Forty-four states have to redraw lines. Six states have just one district and don't have to do so. What's important to know is that Republicans are redrawing more than twice as many districts as Democrats mm-hmm. because Republicans control more state legislatures and governorships than Democrats. And we're seeing Republicans trying to parlay those advantages into ensuring political security for their members in 2022 when they expect to win the House majority, but also in elections for the rest of the decade because the GOP wants to build a more stable majority. But in the near term, their Republicans are trying to convert a lot of politically competitive districts into Republican-friendly districts that Democrats will be hard-pressed to win back in 2022. Fascinating conversation with Greg Giroux, Bloomberg government elections reporter, spending some time with us here in the closing days of 2021 and gearing up for an awfully busy midterm election cycle with us on Bloomberg Sound On. We'll continue our conversation ahead. Check traffic and weather while we're at it here on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. 
As we spend time looking ahead to the midterm elections, it's all about 22 and Greg Giroux, Bloomberg government elections reporter who's been steeped in this conversation uh, for months already. And gosh, you must be, this is like Christmas morning almost for you, Greg. We're almost there, actually in a midterm election year. I wonder, though, how concerned you are about perceptions around election integrity. I've seen polls that show a majority of Republicans, in some cases a pretty wide majority of Republicans, still believe that the 2020 election was stolen. We know that Donald Trump will play some role, if not an outsized role, in campaigning for Republicans in the year ahead. If that perception is true, though, how do Republicans motivate Republican voters to go to the polls? Well, it's a good question. It's a real challenge. As we saw in the 2021 U.S. Senate runoffs in Georgia, Republican turnout you know, tended to be Republican turnout may have been hampered by some of the uh, unfounded claims that the former president made about election integrity and security. And it could have kept some Republicans from heavily Republican counties from coming out to the polls and what could have saved, uh, you know, both Republican held then Republican held Senate seats for uh, Republicans. And um, it, it could have very possibly cost the Republicans their majority in those razor-thin wins uh, for the Democrats in Georgia. Yes, it's something to watch in the 2022 midterm elections because if uh, you know if Donald Trump is uh, you know trying to you know convey that uh, these elections are not uh, safe and secure, um, he doesn't. You know, you don't want to, if you're a Republican, you don't want to put a damper on your own voters from turning out. You want to find a way to energize uh, your base to turn out and vote. And in most midterm elections, as we've discussed earlier, they tend to be a referendum, referenda on the incoming administration. And usually the uh, more the energy in midterm elections lies with the opposition party than with the incumbent administration. And that was certainly the case uh, when, when we went to vote in Virginia and New Jersey. Uh, Right. In 2021, when you look at the governor's races, I wonder how you might be reading into those as sort of bellwethers uh, going into the midterms, Uh, a Republican win and a a surprising one in the state of Virginia, Uh, a Democratic win, but a thin, a, a razor thin margin in New Jersey. And a lot of it came down to turnout. Democrats were not there in both cases for their candidates in the way they were expected to be. Is that what 22 will look like for congressional candidates? It certainly could be a canary in the coal mine, and those off-year elections, as I, as I like to call them, are usually uh, analyzed uh, pretty pretty deeply in the year before the election for any signs of what they could portend about midterm elections. Uh, in Virginia, usually the White House's party loses the governor's election. In almost every case except one, I believe, in the last 50 years, that's been the case. Having said that, you know, Glenn Youngkin won that election in a state that President Joe Biden carried by 10 percentage points just in 2020. And in New Jersey, even though that was a Democratic victory, it was a narrow win, as you mentioned, by just three points in a state that President Joe Biden won by 16 points in 2020. Democrats cannot afford to have those underperformances in the 2022 midterm elections if they are to hold control of the Senate and the House. If districts and states that voted for Joe Biden by 10 to 15 percentage points, as we saw in Virginia, New Jersey, if those are coming on the board, if those are going to be highly competitive in the 2022 elections, you know, Democrats could be in for a, a long and arduous midterm election. That's right. How about issues uh, in the midterms? Will they look like 
some of the issues we saw in Virginia and New Jersey becoming cultural, you know, the education stuff, critical race theory, and of course, COVID will be huge, Greg. Yes, the pandemic probably right now looms large among everything just because it it really uh, deeply affects Americans' daily life, the economy, mm-hmm. um, whether the economy can uh, come back on track, although the, the, the macro numbers look good. Um, you know, will there be... Uh, you know, wage growth for people. Will they be able to? Will there be right. more job creation? Will there be mandates? Will there be mandates? Exactly. But as you note, um, a lot of politics is not fought on economic issues, but it's fought on a lot of cultural battlegrounds. And people don't. Uh, a lot of voters don't uh, necessarily vote uh, on economics or what's in their economic self-interest, and they're mm-hmm. motivated by a lot of uh, cultural politics on issues like uh, education, like we saw in Virginia, or on. Uh, immigration or some other hot button issues. So yeah, we'll see what happens in the 2022 midterm elections. But uh, it it will be a range of issues that will uh, decide whether uh, Democrats can hold their majority. Sure. The one to watch, I think, will be President Joe Biden's approval rating. I think that looms larger than anything. If you look at midterm elections since World War II. When a president has had a, a low approval rating under 50 percent, uh, his party has tended to lose seats in the House and the Senate, often by often a lot of uh, often a lot of seats. In the rare times when uh, a president's party has gained seats in Congress, 1998 uh, under Bill Clinton, 2002 under George W. Bush, both presidents had approval ratings above 60 percent. Joe Biden right now is in the low to mid 40s. Democrats need him to get certainly above 50 percent if they want to hold their slender majorities. And there's the issue of inflation. Uh, when you start talking about inflation, Greg, you wonder if Joe Biden will be able to get back in the 50s. Do Democrats' fortunes rest in what happens to inflation? I think in part, yes, because inflation is one of those issues that viscerally affects uh, everyday consumers and you know how much they pay for gasoline and how much they pay for how much they pay for food and if you know more voters are uh, getting more concerned about the rising costs of goods that are eating to the household budgets they're yeah. going to be looking for someone to blame and right now the Democrats have unified control of government and uh, that could be a hamper on them in the midterm elections if it persists. Greg Rowe, we've got a lot to learn in the year ahead and we'd love to stay in touch with you. Great reporting by Bloomberg Government Elections Reporter. Greg Giroux, thanks for the insights, Greg, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Coming up, we assemble the panel for their view on next year with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You could argue, and we have, that the midterm elections have already begun. Uh, That was the line the morning after Democrats lost the Virginia governor's race, right, and barely held on to the governor's office in New Jersey. Now that we've got Greg Giroux's take on things, we turn to the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Uh, Jeannie, you've brought some tough analysis for Democrats in Congress as you look ahead to the midterm election year. It's dominated a lot of our conversations. Will Democrats lose both the House and Senate in the new year? You know, history would tell us it's going to be very, very tough for them to retain both. So I would, if I had to guess, um, I would say that they are, you know, likely to lose at least one, if not both. And again, that's history. 
That's also the fact that we've seen districts redrawn. It's the fact that we've seen, you know, we're veering in on a record number of retirements. And it's also, of course, because the Democrats have got to have something to run on. They have had successes this year, but they haven't delivered to their base what they promised, voting reform reform of the criminal justice system, the human infrastructure bill. So they've gotten big things done, but they're mired in this pandemic and they've been unable to get their communications together. And that's gonna be a problem as we saw in the elections in Virginia. But to me, it was New Jersey, how close that state yeah. was and it shouldn't have been. That really does tell us where we are, at least at this point, vis-a-vis -vis the midterms. We've heard Kevin McCarthy, Rick, say that there uh, could be 63 seats. What, what kind of uh, midterm election year are you looking for? What can Republicans reasonably expect? You know, I think it's it's obviously setting up to be a good year for Republicans. Uh, one, historically, it's always the party in power who loses seats in the first election. Uh, and, and and that probably is going to happen in, in the House of Representatives, whether you get to the kind of 60 plus seats that uh, uh, that uh, the, the Republican leader is talking about uh, is a stretch. But we, you know, 40 seats just turned hands, so it's not that much of a stretch. And 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 I think that even Democrats who are retiring in large numbers, I think uh, 25 last I heard, um, uh, are 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 recognizing the fact that they won't be in the leadership in the House of Representatives. I think the much more interesting game is in the Senate. 50-50 uh, uh, Senate, Democrats can't lose one single race, and and there are at least a half a dozen really competitive races right now where Democrats could uh, 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 lose potentially uh, three or four seats and Republicans could potentially lose a couple seats themselves. So it could be a really interesting uh, chance for Republicans to gain the Senate. Highly unlikely that Democrats have a good chance of picking up any extra seats to broaden their majority. But we could have a situation in which they lose the House but keep the Senate, Rick. Is, is that a reasonable outcome in your view? I think that's sort of the betting line yeah. is that uh, the House goes, but the Senate uh, stays in a deadlock. Um, uh, but uh, realistically, I would say it wouldn't surprise me that the Republicans, by maybe one vote, could pick up oh. the Senate uh, in this election year. And then you have a much different bag of tricks for the White House. Yeah. The redrawing of congressional maps, of course, a big story already is as we head into next year with about half of this process done here, Jeannie, it's going to be a big factor in determining a number of House races. Uh, what should our listeners need to know about this? I, I asked Greg the same thing. As this becomes pretty complicated, what should we be focused on in the new year when it comes to the redrawing, the redistricting of congressional districts? It's going to have an impact. It always does. Um, and I think we're still waiting for some of these to be to be finalized. But we have seen it's not in every case that the Democrats are on the losing end of the redrawing of these maps. Right. But because Republicans control about three quarters of the state legislatures and the states overall, they do have an upper hand with some of these, with many of these redistricting. And so that does play a role. And, you know, I think as we talk about history, we have to just think you couple the redrawing of the maps with the fact that the opposition party picks up five or more seats in midterm since the 1870s. You know, that sort of tells you where we're headed and sort of what 2022 promises to look like when you couple all these factors together. How concerned are you, Rick, as a Republican about the issue of election integrity 
With polls showing a majority of Republicans still believe that the 2020 election was stolen, how do you motivate voters to vote after you've convinced them that it's rigged? You know, it's tough. I mean, we were watching these elections in Virginia and New Jersey uh, to see whether or not there was any impact of people uh, not voting. And both vote, both elections had very strong voter turnout uh, with uh, 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 right after a historically high voter turnout yeah. from 2020. Uh, so I think that right now you'd have to assume that the American public, even though they are divided, they're activated and, and, and that you would likely see the same kind of, I don't know if you're going to get record turnout uh, for a midterm in 2022, but you're certainly going to see a strong showing by both parties who feel like there's a lot at stake. What do you think about that, Jeannie? A good problem to have for Democrats, or or does Virginia tell the story? Republicans were motivated more than Democrats were. They were, and I think we're going to see more of the same, which is why we're seeing the administration and Democrats in Congress eager as they get back in the new year to focus on issues that the base really cares about. You know, again, the the criminal justice issue, uh, you know, police reform, voting rights. We haven't had a real concerted effort there. Um, So I I do think we're going to see that as they struggle to motivate the base. I think we're going to see Democrats try to run against the former president. They feel that was a, you know, sort of a winning strategy in 2020, and they want to repeat that. You know, one thing I think that's worth considering is given the struggles that the Biden administration has had with a 51, you know, 50-50 Senate, but, you know, just 51 with the VP, um, you know, they do if they do lose the Senate by one vote, I I would say, and I know it's a bit controversial, it may help Democrats as they move into 2024. Because if Democrats control Washington, D.C. for four years, it's going to motivate Republicans a lot more to get out in 2024. If Republicans take at least one or both houses, Democrats may have an easier time actually in 2024 retaining the White House. So there is a school of thought that, you know, even if it's bad to lose, it may benefit them going forward. Looking ahead into the new year with Rick and Jeannie on Bloomberg Sound On. And more to follow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The conversation, of course, when we return from the holiday next week here in Washington, D.C., is going to be all about the Biden economic agenda, what's left of it, and so forth. And as we're discussing with Rick and Jeannie here, let's bring the panel back in here, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, there's not going to be a lot of time. We were just discussing the midterms, right? What do the midterms mean in terms of the schedule, Rick, the the window that Democrats will have to get anything done? I'm assuming it's going to be a brief one. I think it's beyond brief. I think it's already shut. It's already over. The the reality is that the demise of Build Back Better at the end of this year uh, is going to hearken into uh, Democrats looking for small wins legislatively, things they can do along the way uh, that are relatively uh, non-controversial in order to, quote, get things out. But the reality is no Republican is going to sign on uh, uh, to a bipartisan package that advantages the Democrats and the Democrats seem uninterested in any of those kinds of initiatives after the big uh, $2 trillion infrastructure bill passed Mm. in a bipartisan fashion. What's it going to feel like, Jeannie? I mean, we went through this for months and months. We know Joe Manchin's not on board. 
Uh, is there going to be a big eye roll when when the, the White House or Democratic leaders on Capitol Hill try to to reengage on this? You know, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see them try to cobble together something at the one point seven five trillion that oh, Joe, Joe Manchin has been willing to go along with. Yeah. Um, and it's they're going to try to call it build back better. But it's going to be, you know, a, a very different bill. Um, it's going to be, you know, much more focused in in one area, whether, you know, it's child tax credits or something that they can get behind. I think that's what they're going to try to push for um, a much smaller, much more contained, much more focused bill. Now, the question, of course, is can they get that passed? past and how, because of course, trying to do that on reconciliation, they've got to retain all Democrats, do progressives, do Could they keep progressives with that plan you just described? They very well could. I mean, you know, listen, if if they try to push forward a bill and they're not talking about the the big, to my mind, elephant in the room, which is climate change, I don't see how progressives stand stand there. And let's not forget, you know, you've also got moderates in the Democratic Party who are very focused in an election year on the salt. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts here. I think they're going to try it. I do agree with Rick. Either the door is shut or it's a real uphill battle at this point for Democrats. And they're not even going to be in, you know, in as much as they would need to be, I think, to get this done. The calendar is very short next year. Well, so this is going to be an election issue one way or the other. I think you would both agree. And if this both if this goes the way you're both saying, it's not going to be a good one with a Democratic Party that could have taken a, a victory lap after an incredibly productive first half of of 21. You got the American Rescue Plan. You got infrastructure. We, a, a lot of things uh, got done by this very thin Democratic majority. But now it, it's what have you done for me lately, Rick? If this if this it doesn't come together the way they want, if the child tax credit goes away, Democrats losing a lot of talking points right off the bat next year. They, they, they do lose talking points related to the Build Back Better plan. But if someone told you in a complete vacuum that the Biden administration got the American Rescue Plan for $1.9 trillion passed yep. the first month that it was in office, pumping you know trillions of dollars into the U.S. economy, and then three months later got the American Jobs Plan for $2.3 trillion to remake America's infrastructure in a yeah. way that has never been done, you would say that's enough for you to talk about for a re-election campaign in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say, just to amend and extend my earlier comments about like not being able to get things done, if the pandemic continues uh, on the pace that it is today, uh, which is uh, significant, uh, I could see one bipartisan bill to address COVID issues uh, in the next uh, quarter uh, that would be a win for this administration. So, How do you define COVID issues? Is that a stimulus you're talking about? Uh, it could be a combination of a stimulus. Uh, it could be a combination of uh, increased testing uh, uh, centers all around the country paying for those. Uh, likely, you have a lot of this money available, but if you title it uh, in these areas, uh, then you're probably going to get support from both Republicans and Democrats, and 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 nobody's going to want in a time of need to be obstructing that kind of a benefit package. So uh, uh, whether or not you can get some of these other social benefits like uh, unemployment insurance, uh, if jobs don't bounce back the way they we hoped, uh, or child tax credits, uh, which have been a sensitive issue, uh, my guess is uh, the slimmer, the more likelihood 
uh, this administration has to get something done. But that would be, I think, the only thing that I could see happening in the first quarter next year. COVID can cut both ways uh, in, in this election cycle, Jeannie. When you when you go back to last summer, it looked like a, a big ace in the hole here for Joe Biden. It's feeling a lot less like that now. Uh, does it depend on the trajectory that the pandemic takes in the new year as to how we're, we're voting on this? I mean, by spring and summer, we could all be getting together outdoors again, indoors, whatever, dealing with a very different reality. That is the big issue. That is what Joe Biden ran on. He promised he would get it under control. His numbers looked very good through the outbreak of Delta and, of course, followed by Omicron. It has been very, very tough. And we've seen his poll numbers take, you know, take a dip as a result of his handling of that. And some of the mixed messages we've heard, whether you're talking about something like the the absence or the lack of enough testing availability and those kinds of things and sort of mixed communication on masks and other things. And of course, let's not forget, you've got parents who have children who have been in and out of school now for you know, a couple years. And I think to me, we saw this in Virginia, we're going to see it again in the midterm. That is something that I think the administration has got to pay real, real attention to this issue of parents and children and schooling and education at the state and local level. And that's where I think we see the pandemic, amongst other issues, play a real role here. But certainly Biden has got to got to get on top of handling the pandemic. And I think that's why his remark the other day about, you know, the the limited role of the federal government in handling it is something of a problem for him because he ran saying the federal government and he leading it could control it. And we're feeling again like we're back to 2020 and it's not controlled. And that's a problem for him. So COVID, inflation and whatever's left of the Biden economic agenda. Those are your top three, Jeannie? Those are. And I also would just add to that the very wild weather we've seen over the last year from the Texas deep freeze to storm Ida tornadoes to the mm. California wildfires yeah. and the relationship to climate change. And that gets us back to the human infrastructure build back better. Those are real, real concerns. And we all feel those in our daily lives. I have to ask you guys both about the Trump factor, of course, uh, it does seem like a sure thing now that he'll be at least involved uh, in this midterm cycle, if not running for re-election in 24. And it could be some time before we know that. But I wonder, uh, we've already talked about election integrity, concerns that Republicans have about the election. This could go in a lot of different directions here, Rick, when 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 former President Trump starts doing rallies. Uh, you start hitting the podium for an hour at a time without a script. This narrative could change. This narrative will change. I mean, the one thing we know about Donald Trump is he aims to please the crowd, not necessarily the pollsters. Hmm. And uh, and it's worked for him in the past, uh, at least once. It didn't work so well last time around. And uh, and, and but he, you know, that old dog's not going to change his bark. And so it'll at least add a lot of uh, entertainment value to the Republican primary contest. Well, how important is his endorsement not. though for Republican candidates? You know, I mean, right now. It's sort of to be determined. I mean, he's endorsed candidates that have lost in specials uh, and endorsed some that have won. Uh, there are uh, a number of important races that we mentioned in the Senate coming up that his endorsees aren't doing so well. They're not raising the money that they initially thought they had in North Carolina and Alaska. Uh, we also saw uh, in the Virginia governor's races last year, uh, even though he endorsed Yunkin, Yunkin banned him from traveling anywhere near the, the zip codes That's in Virginia. Right. Yeah. 
and 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 was able to to, to make that work. So um, my my guess is that that Trump, uh, because of his limitations and social media and, and and media, his basically his only place to get attention is Fox News and and other fringe. Uh, social media outlets, uh, he's just not going to have the kind of impact he had before, frankly, where network t- television and cable uh, basically broadcast anything he said any time of day. Yeah, you just I, I wonder if if he's a benefit to Democrats uh, in some cases, as Jeannie, as Rick points out, uh, the Youngkin campaign didn't want Donald Trump anywhere near Virginia and it worked. And if that's the roadmap, boy, Democrats would love for Donald Trump to show up in a couple of these states, wouldn't they? They want Donald Trump in every state and every race. Okay. Um, that is a huge boon for them um, if, if he's if he's active. You know, one thing I think we should un- underscore about the Yunkin race was he didn't have to run in a traditional primary. It was, um, you know, that's where the rubber is going to meet the road in terms of Donald Trump. He you know, Yunkin could run away from him to, you know, embrace him, but not get too close because he didn't have to appeal in a primary election. Not all Republicans are going to have that benefit. And that's where Trump could have a real voice as we go forward if he does. Is it a concern that you're hearing from Republican candidates behind the scenes, Rick, that, boy, you know, we can't say no. You don't want him calling you out or becoming a problem. We also don't want him stumping with us or sharing a stage with us. Well, most of the Republicans I know from the Trump administration, many of whom are running for president right now, uh, desperately don't want him to enter the political fray. They don't mind him banging around on the edges. Yeah. That's a manageable problem for them. Uh, but last thing they want is their ambitions to be upended by a guy who uh, they're going to have a hard time explaining how if that was OK for them to serve in his administration, why wouldn't they be endorsing him for another run for president? Fascinating panel with Jeannie and Rick, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. We thank you as ever for the insights here on Bloomberg Sound On. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.